0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the Skype line today is Dr. Ted Tripp. He is author of Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, Ted, it's great to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Dan. I'm I'm looking forward to the chance uh, for us to chat with each other.
0: You know, uh, it was a while ago Debbie and myself uh, read your book. Uh, We read short excerpts each night on the Covenant home of select books and Yours is one of the finest books we've we've worked through, and uh, we just want to thank you very much for that fine book that uh, you put out a number of years ago, I believe.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate your encouragement with that. Uh, We've been very overwhelmed with the response to Shepherding a Child's Heart. We never anticipated that it would uh, catch on as it has, and... uh, in some ways, it's shaped uh, the ministry we've had in the last twenty years, but we're very thankful for the way it's been received and and for the opportunities we've had to teach uh, all over the world about shepherding children.
0: I love the idea of uh, focusing on the heart um, it, it's it's relationship focused and uh, it just flows it seems from the gospel of christ and i mm-hmm. I wonder uh have in your you, you go around you lecture in different venues. Have you talked about how important the gospel is to parenting?
1: Yeah, and I, I think you know, as you uh, alluded to in your question, the uh, emphasis on the heart and the centrality of the gospel come right together, just so uh, hand in glove. Because uh, the alternative, uh, the, the primary view of parenting that is popular out there. Uh, really worldwide. We've just returned from a trip to India for three and a half weeks. It's everywhere in the world because we have a world culture. But the popular view is is uh, control. It's, it's how do I manage? How do I control, constrain, manage my children? Uh, that's the, the the focus. And when, when that's the focus, then behaviorism becomes the go-to method because behaviorism is effective. It works. Uh, parents are adults. They can figure out how to motivate their kid, and so they they figure out which ones will be motivated by prizes, which ones by will be motivated by warnings and threats, which ones will be motivated by affirmation, and they uh, you know they figure out the system that works with their children. But as soon as behavior becomes the focus, the gospel is only tangential at best, because it's not essential to being a successful behaviorist. I mean, there are millions of people all over this land, who are very effectively managing their children through behaviorism. They don't need the gospel to do that. And a Christian doesn't need the gospel to do that. So a Christian, this, a behaviorist, will end up bringing the gospel in tangentially, but it won't be the core of his message to his children. But if you take a focus on the heart, then it helps so much because the concern is not just the behavior, but the way the behavior demonstrates a heart that is straight from God and from God's ways The only hope for that is the gospel. So it it really uh, uh, fits so beautifully, both the gospel in terms of the forgiveness I need for the ways that I sin because I'm part of a fallen race, but also the gospel as motivation, the gospel as empowerment for me to do the things God's calling me to do. So if the focus is on the heart, then the necessity is that the gospel be central because there's no other hope for radical internal transformation so I, I think that uh, uh, really thinking about the heart brings you immediately into the necessity of the gospel and, the, and the, the, the encouragement for our children that there's power and grace in Christ to be able to be children who obey, to be able to be children who have a soft answer who turns away wrath, mm-hmm. to be able, able to be children who can forgive those who repeatedly sin against them, who can love others more than they love themselves. I mean, all those things are are gospel empowered and gospel enabled? So I think the uh, the centrality of the gospel just cannot be overemphasized in parenting. But you never get there as a behaviorist.
0: Mm. Uh, Ted, I, I sit here as as you're talking, and I realize uh, before the interview, you you shared with me the fact that you do have a, a long time of pastoring in your background, and I I was tempted to say, "Wow, you really sound like a pastor." <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's been 30 years in pastoral ministry, and uh, that's been my primary calling in life. And, uh, of course, I have three children and nine grandchildren, so I've had a lot of opportunity to engage children and to interact with children. And so, yeah, yeah, the the, uh, uh, pastoral ministry and the centrality of the gospel. Actually, you know, Dan, you mentioned pastoral ministry. If I can just jump in with this. Uh, In the the church that I served, I think there were three themes that really – focused all of our ministry in the church one was the centrality of the heart the problem is it, the problem with sin is always the sin that is under the sin uh you know i say things that are unkind to my wife i'm impatient unkind to her or I, i'm angry with my children but and, and all those things are wrong but what's the sin that is under the sin you know the the love of self the pride the self-righteousness the the uh the the lack of a peacemaking heart and so forth so it, it, the centrality of the heart was one of the focal points in uh, in the ministry that I had for thirty years in the church, and then uh, you know the the opposite of those idols of the heart are is is enthroning Christ. It's delighting in Christ. It's it's the it's the sweetness of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the beauty of Christ's ways. And of course, then the third element for us in the church was always the centrality of the gospel. Mm. The fact that the, it's the grace and power and enablement of the gospel that strengthens us, that not only forgives us for our sins, but is the source of power and, and uh, enablement to do the things that God's called me to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love that. The delighting in Christ, you know, I come from an engineering background. I I tend to see problems and and think about, oh, this is broken, that's broken, i got to fix it. And uh, for those of us who are of that bent, um, uh, maybe it's more of a challenge to delight in Christ and and look to his beauty and and say, you know what, maybe everything all around me is breaking, but but he's there. That's
1: right. That's right. Well, the interesting thing, too, you can think about it this way, too, Dan, that— you know, for example, if I'm teaching a, a child, a little child, the necessity of obedience to mom and dad, I can approach that from a power standpoint. I can say, look, I'm your dad. I put a roof over your head. I buy every morsel of food you put in your mouth and every stitch of clothes you wear in your back. And as long as you live in my house, you're going to do what I say. Now, that a very authoritarian approach, in my opinion, really plants seeds of rebellion because mm-hmm. i've set up a head-to-head conflict here you know i'm the one with the power i'm the one with the gifts to give you live in my house you do it my way mm-hmm. that doesn't invite submission that actually invites rebellion
2: mm-hmm.
1: but if i if i present that truth the necessity of obedience and try to I, I think of it as making a gourmet presentation of that truth to my child i want to make that truth beautiful uh, as beautiful as it truly is so i want to remind him, there's a God in heaven who's good, he's given you a mom and dad, a mom and dad who love you a mom and dad with maturity, wisdom, life experience, who are committed to you he's put you in a family and and God says that you should obey mommy and daddy, and as you obey mommy and daddy, it will go well with you and you will enjoy a long life with these marvelous blessings, because, see what I want to persuade this child of is the beauty and rightness of what God has called us to do and and then I can remind him, you know, even when I see him struggling with, with the necessity of obeying, I heard one of my sons doing this one day with his son. It was so beautiful. He said, it's hard to obey daddy, isn't it, Benjamin? Yes. <laughs> you know who can help you obey? Jesus. That's right. Jesus can help you obey. And let's pray that Jesus will help you to be obedient because it's not easy to obey. Daddy understands that. Mm. But I want to pray for you and pray that Jesus will help you. I mean, in a sense... You're bringing the beauty of Christ to a little child. The fact that there is this Savior who is gracious and kind and and is, is willing, able Savior to help us in our time of need. And it's a marvelous truth, and it's beautiful truth. And so I think that one of the things that we don't do enough of in child rearing is persuade our children of the beauty and goodness and rightness of God's ways. Amen. Because, see, what I want my child to do is not just be afraid of Dad. And Dad's wrath. I want him to desire the the more beautiful picture of living in in a relationship with God, where he's obeying God and doing what God calls him to do, and knowing that that sweetness of relationship with God, and and being empowered by God to obey and do what he's called God's called him to. That that's so beautiful, and it's so compelling, and that's the message we need to be bringing to our
0: kids. Hey, amen. It seems also that, um, to be consistent in this, to be successful at this, uh, we need a sincere, personal life that's right with God. And, and I'm thinking, do you, have you seen any, um, any tendencies, any threats to our family that, that take away from our, our love for Christ and that really, uh, adversely affect the family?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, of, uh, the passage in, uh, in John uh, chapter 2, uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, that I, and you know, all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you know, are, are, are from the world. You know, and, 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 and the world and all of its treasures pass away but he that does the will of God abides forever. There's that beautiful picture of of loving God rather than loving the world. But but, but one of the points John is making is that the world is always out there beckoning us. The world is always out there offering us joy. And it says you will find joy if you have a 3,500 square foot home. You'll find joy if you have a 700 level BMW. You'll find joy if you have the people in your world uh, love you and care for you, you know, and and, and you'll find, uh, you know, I mean, men are tempted, you know, at work they're sitting on the computer all day. There's going to be joy in just a little dalliance here with this uh, website with naughty naughty pictures on it, you know. There's a there's always that quest for joy in something other than God, in loving the world and the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, you'll have joy if you're successful and you have a great position. So I think that all those things are out there attacking uh, Christians all the time. And they're attacking our children, too. Mm. But we can't help our children wage that battle if we're not waging the battle, too. mm because you can't give away something you don't possess, <laughs> you have to be full of love for God and delight in God, and deeply persuaded the life that is truly life is not found in all that stuff of the world that the world offers and beckons us with. It's found in knowing God, in loving God, in 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 fulfilling my calling as a person who's designed to live in this world in ways that makes the world a place where human beings can flourish because we're living in love and. And graciousness toward one another, and I think that uh, that's got to be compelling to us mm. if it's going to be compelling to our children.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Because so much of that is not just taught; it's caught. You know, you, you catch it. It's <laughs> like catching a cold. You know, you catch it by being with somebody that has the that has that. You know, and for our children, that's so important that that mom and dad be reflecting. Uh, in very positive ways, that love for God, and, and actually reflecting in positive ways, the turning away from the world and what the world beckons. So it's not just negative, oh, we don't want to be like those people, those wicked people. <laughs> but we're saying to our children, we know life is not found there. Mm. And the life that is truly life is found in knowing God and loving God. Mm. And, and And understanding our calling as people and living out that calling uh, that's where life, that's where true, lasting joy is found. And I think uh bringing that to our kids all the time. But, yeah, the world's a dangerous place. One of the things that uh I'm very concerned about, Dan, lately, and I talk about it quite a bit in my seminars. It's not in Shepherding because Shepherding was written 20 years ago. But I'm so concerned about the uh, the extent to which Christian parents are turning over these powerful Internet-enabled devices to children. And it is such a, a travesty. and such a trap for our kids. And, you know, because my opinion is that there is no 8-year-old child that needs a smartphone. Mm-hmm. If he needs a flip phone so he can call somebody in a case of an emergency, give him one of your old phones— that will only call numbers, but he doesn't need a smartphone. So that phone that is 3G, 4G, ELTE, you know, enabled, is going to take him places that he should never go. And and it will awaken in him appetites and desires that can never be fulfilled in the will of God for human beings.
2: Mm.
1: Because, see, the problem is not just that our kids will taste these bad things and 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 we hope conclude that that they're bad and want to turn away from them. The problem is that, you know, the kid that is, the, the, the young boy that is sitting in front of pornography on his iPad, on his computer, on his phone, he's awakening appetites and desires that can never be fulfilled in God's will for human beings. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant, destructive desires.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, a wife can never be that kind of object of lust that this woman is in pornography
0: mm, well put,
1: I mean, you well put. To make you try your wife into that you will destroy her yes if the desire you have for her is a pure desire it's not the desire of a user but see there are no pure desires for women in pornography i mean they're all user desires they're destructive desires and i think that parents need to be so wise and parents are giving stuff to their kids way too soon that their kids are not ready for. Another issue I think that's related is the whole gaming thing. I mean, gaming is so destructive. You know, Dan, I never do a seminar without having a parent come to me and say, I've got a 15-year-old kid. He's addicted to video games. I don't know how to get him to stop. When I tell him he has to stop playing after he's been playing for hours, he gets hostile and angry with me. I don't know what to do. And I'll say to the parents, How did he afford a a Wii or an Xbox? Those things are expensive. Oh, we bought it for him. And I want to say, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Why did you buy that for him? Because that that game, I I mean, in in terms of cost-benefits analysis, the cost of having that game is much greater than any minor benefit that might come to the child from anti-coordination or the entertainment value of the game. And there's no kid that ought to be playing Call of Duty. Those first-person shooter games are destructive. They're destructive of the whole psyche of a young man. And, you know, it's interesting to me, all these mass shooters in the last number of years have all been gaming aficionados. Mm-hmm. And they've they spent hundreds and hundreds of hours killing some people in a virtual world. And they go out into the real world and do the same thing. I was with a group of boys We're in a van on a service project, went by a little pond, three men are out there in a rowboat. One kid in the back, he says, I've got a perfect sniper shot. Bang, bang, bang. I got them all. Oh. I said, to you, you have played so many first person shooter games, you can't see guys in a rowboat fishing and wonder, I wonder if they're catching anything. What a nice day to be fishing. I wish I was in a rowboat. You see targets. Mm. I think this stuff is so destructive. And I, I urge parents, if you have little children, be very, very careful in how you meter that stuff out to them. They don't need all those devices. And be sure that you're seeing some signs of spiritual growth in them before you put that thing in their hands. Uh, if you've got kids, and, and for anyone that's hearing us today, and you've already gone down this route, you've already opened these doors. You obviously you can't take the phone back or or uh, you know get rid of the game because uh, the, the the child will regard that as an act of hostility toward him. You're going to have to work with that and mm-hmm. talk to him and try to negotiate some way to bring it under control. Uh, That's just a part of wisdom if you've already opened that door. Mm -hmm. But I encourage parents, don't open that door. You know, I've got uh, grandsons that have phones that don't have Safari and YouTube on them. You know, you can take those (laughs) things off. You know, you you can even go into the phone and tell what numbers the phone is allowed to make calls to or text to and which ones are allowed to receive from. You know, so your kid can still have a phone because there's a social pressure to have a phone. But you can you can you can limit and control in some ways the dangers of that if you're wise as a parent.
0: Mm, that's that's very good advice. Um,
1: so forgive me for being on a on a soapbox there, but
0: <laughs> No, that's that's excellent. I appreciate that. Um we've got maybe seven or six and a half minutes left. Um one question I had was uh you know, we've discussed the shepherding a child's heart a little bit, um talked about some of the dangers and, and the importance of our own personal life, being right with the Lord. Uh, I'm just wondering if you have some advice for older parents, um, um, those of us who have children that have left the home or just about ready to leave the home. Uh, how do you handle the coming of a grandchild, that sort of thing?
1: Sure, sure. Well, one of the things I think that uh, is very, very important with our older children is to uh, is to look for opportunities to... Uh, to acknowledge your failings as a parent, because let's face it, all of our kids were raised in dysfunctional homes. <laughs> you know, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I look back at raising my three children and by God's grace, they know God, love God. I have a great relationship with them. All nine of my grandchildren live within five miles of me. We spend a lot of time together as a family. So I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but uh, I've had times when I've I felt like it was profitable for me to talk to my adult children and say, you know, I'm thinking back of some things in your childhood where I realized how wrongheaded I was. And uh, maybe you've forgotten about this, but I want to tell you that I'm sorry. And I wish I had done that better. And, and you know, I think any parent who's willing to be honest and self-reflective can think back of incidents in raising their children where they uh, did and said things That were not helpful and were not good and that they should not have done or said. And I think if we can think of those things to go to our adult children and say to them, I just want to clear the air, clear my conscience. Maybe it's not even troubling you, but I want to tell you that it troubles me and I want to clear my conscience and ask you to forgive me Mm -hmm. for this or that, you know, that I did. And also I want to, I want you to know that I'm welcome to hear from you about anything that I'm not aware of where I might have hurt you. I just think clearing your conscience, clearing the air with adult children is a very, very profitable thing to do. I, I think with grandparenting, it's such a wonderful opportunity uh, to, to have influence with our kids. I think we have to be very wise. Uh, one of the things we do with our grandchildren is, is uh, we are always referencing the authority of their parents. So if I'm with my grandchildren, I had an experience that too long ago with my youngest grandson. We're at McDonald's. We're walking across the parking lot. I wanted to take his hand because he's a little guy. I didn't want him to dart out in front of a car. He pulled away from me because the older boys were not holding my hand. He didn't want to hold my hand either. And, and I said to him, calling him by name, I said, hey, you know, you, you need to obey Grandpa. Your father would want for you to obey me. And grandpa thinks that it's wise for me to hold your hand. And I reached down and I grabbed his hand. <laughs> but I think I, I'm referencing his father's authority. It's not my authority, it's his father's authority. Because I'm not the, I'm not the parental authority figure in this child's life. Uh, when our grandchildren misbehave in our home, and we spend a lot of time with them, uh, we had all nine of them in our summer place during the summer. You know, I mean, there are times when children are children, they require correction. So I correct them. I never discipline them because I feel that discipline is their parents' responsibility. It's not my calling as a grandfather. I do correct them, and I'll say to them, uh, you may not do that. You know, you're not being kind to your sister. You're, you're being unkind. I want to use the language of the heart in the way I talk about it. You're, you're serving yourself. You're not serving her. And uh, if it's an aggravated situation, I'll say to the kids, Grandpa's going to need to talk to your your, your dad about this when we get back home because I – your dad would want to know that you had this struggle and he will have wisdom to know how to help you with that. Mm. So I think that as parents, we want to always be supportive of our children and of their choices. Uh, my, my sons have made choices that are different than the choices I would have made. Like, for example, uh, we had a television in our house. We limited the use of it. We had a television when the kids were growing up. Both of my boys don't have a television at home.
2: Mm.
1: They've just decided that's not something... That we want to do. We don't want our kids having all that screen time. We want them to to interact with people, read books, do other things. So, uh, when they come to our house, we don't put them in front of the television. In fact, if we if we want to watch something with them, we always check with our sons and say, uh, "We're going to be uh, watching, you know, Heidi. Is that okay with you?" Because uh, and it, uh, because we don't want to do anything to undermine their authority. And I think it's so destructive when grandparents say, well, I know your dad wouldn't let you have this second bowl of ice cream, but you're at grandma's house now. and You can have a second (laughs) bowl if you want when you're at grandma's house. Well, that's destructive because that grandparent is undermining the parent's authority in order to get brownie points with the grandchild.
0: Mm, Yes.
1: I don't want that kind of relationship with my grandchildren. I want them to have a relationship where they perceive that grandpa is very supportive of mom and dad. And grandpa will will seek to perceive mom and dad's values and mom and dad's concerns. And, and I will, will, will interact with my kids in ways that are consistent with what I perceive to be their concerns. So I think that's very, very important for us to do as grandparents, that we want to be supportive of our grandchildren's goals and objectives. Now, obviously, there are parents listening to us today who have children who are not Christians where the grandparent may be trying to influence this child toward Christ, even though that parents don't do that. I'm all for that. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> but I think yes. Even then, you've got to be very careful about how you do it. You don't want to be saying to them, well, I know your daddy never goes to church, but when you're with grandma, you're going to go to church. Because that's, the right <laughs> thing to do. that's that's not that's not what you want to do. No.
0: No, I, I'm looking at our clock, and I realize we're just about out of time today, Ted. I'm wondering if... If you can uh, share with the listener your uh, website sure. and possibly any book suggestions uh, um, for those who are raising children, maybe a little bit sure. younger now, and and some help for them.
1: Sure. Yeah. A couple of things, uh, Dan. One is uh, the website for Shepherd Press, the publisher of Shepherd Shepherding Child's Heart, is just Shepherd Press, S H E P H E R D Press, all one word. dot com. And there's a wonderful new book that they've just produced by a man named clint archer who's a south african the book is called the home team it's a great book about uh using the analogy of sports the family's a team we're working together under the leadership of a coach the dad you know and so forth it's a very nice book Uh, there's also the excellent book by ginger plowman which is kind of shepherding a child's heart light it's uh, a don't make me count to three it's a mother's view of heart oriented uh discipline and correction uh, Ginger also has produced an excellent uh foldout. It's also a, an iPhone app called Wise Words for Moms that identifies behaviors and heart probing questions. And uh so you can get beyond just saying, stop doing that, and give and really ask some good questions and and identify the biblical put-offs and put-ons. Uh, instructing a child's heart is a book Margie and I wrote uh together in response to literally thousands of conversations with young people. Uh that's available also at uh Shepherd Press, and my website for seminars is shepherdingtheheart.org shepherdingtheheart.org is the website uh, for contacting me for seminars and that sort of thing.
0: Well that's beautiful Uh, Ted, I want to thank you very very much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule and joining our listeners today. uh, My guest today has been Dr. Ted Tripp uh, author of Shepherding a Child's Heart, also director of Shepherding the Heart. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's been a joy to be with you, Dan. I thank the Lord for what you're doing, and I hope that many people that have heard us will benefit from our conversation.
0: I certainly trust they will, and we look to the Lord for that blessing. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.